0: I'm Terry Taylor, and this is the Interior Design Business Academy Podcast. As an interior designer, you may be thinking, I love what I do, but I am so overworked and underpaid. Let me tell you, I've been there too. I spent many years learning from my own mistakes and developing proven strategies and systems to make interior design a profitable career while keeping it fun and creative. So now, I'm here to help you get paid what you're worth. If you're ready for some straight talk about how design business really works and you're ready to break through old belief systems that are holding you back and shift into beliefs that support your goals and bring lasting success, you are in the right place. I have a lot of stories about designers getting in trouble with big price tags. Now, this is kind of an interesting spot because if I said, let's talk about the fears that come up around presenting big price tags, the pushback I would get would be, no, I love presenting big price tags. That's what I want to do. That's it. I I love it. I love it, right? However, it very often doesn't work that way because there's some invisible glass ceilings in there that we bump up against that we don't really know they're there. They're under the surface. It's old murky Money stories. It's all about getting your money stories tangled in with client things, and and it doesn't come out well. All right. So let's. I'm going to take some of this apart, and let's let's take a look at it. I want to share some stories with you. Okay. I got a bunch of them, but you know, I'll share just a few. All right. So first of all, we have a designer who was working on moving up market okay moving up the level of clients she wanted and getting and should getting there Um, and this client showed up looked pretty good you know original art on the walls that sort of thing going okay this looks like this looks like where we want to be what she wanted was an a Rudin sofa great happy to do that, right? Okay, so our designer helps her pick out the frame, gets all the details worked out, puts a great Brunswick & Fee fabric on it, right? I mean, beautiful. Runs out maybe 23000 something like that. Okay, now, that's a substantial price tag for a sofa, all right? We know that's what they cost. We know the reasons why. We know the quality's there. But if you look at it from the other side, that's about what a minimum wage person would make in a year, right? So, you know, you got, you got to get the perspective going on this. So our designer looking at that and coming from a background where saving some money is a great thing. You become a hero. I mean, I, I kind of got into design that way. I could make rooms look really good for next to nothing. That's because my labor was free at the time, but but it was a talent, right, to be able to do that. Well, you know, in looking at this $23,000 sofa and wanting to impress this client, because this is the kind of client she wanted, this was an ideal client situation, right? You finally landed her, right? We want to keep this one and get to know her friends. She proposed that she could do that sofa um, with a Kravit one that looked just exactly like it, same fabric, looks just like it, and it would probably run out about eighty five, ninety five hundred dollars $9,500, something like that. That's about a $14,000 price shift. That's a chunk of money, right? Now... <laughs> She felt that she was doing this client a great favor by doing this and showing her how she could save this money and still have this beautiful sofa in her living room. So they went ahead and did the Kravit sofa, and you can kind of guess where this is going to go. <laughs> and first of all, there's nothing wrong with the Kravet sofa. It's beautiful. They do great work. We all know that, right? This is not about their workmanship. It's about this client who, once she got that sofa, started picking on it. Of course she did. Right, of course. Right, the top edge of the line wasn't quite straight, so they took it back and they worked on it and bring it back. And then the next time she called a couple of weeks later, she says, "No, what the the cushion's not right. We've need to, you know." So they took that back and worked on that. There's nothing wrong with this sofa, right? After the second time she took it back, the woman called, the client called the designer and said, "I hate this sofa. Get it out of my house." <laughs> so what happened there? Well, the designer ate the sofa. And she lost the client, okay, because she didn't realize that saving money was not um, a benefit or a <laughs> something this woman wanted to do. She wanted the A. Rudin sofa. Okay. Now to the designer's defense, when you, when you grow up in a, in a situation, much like I did that, you know, saving money and having a great looking house at the same time was like a real, (laughs) a real benefit. I mean, you were the hero, right? She's trying to be a hero in this job and ended up not being because her idea of how to do a really good job with this was not in alignment with what the clients was. Okay, the client wanted that sofa that way. right? Okay, so you know you can see how our own values around money get mixed up into clients' jobs at times and really get us in trouble, keep us from, from getting to where we really wanna go, right? Another instance, I'll tell you another one. This one was about a designer, good designer, who had a very high-end client. She wanted a very, very large dining table. So, um they had it made, custom made, it was fabulous, beautiful of course. It cost about $12,000 to make, okay, not bad. She put 4,000 on it, sold it for 16, thinking that's enough for me. I don't need any more than that. That's that'll be that'll be fine and sold it for 16 instead of 24. 24, five, twenty-five, 25, something like that would really, you know, if you're going to keystone it and do it right, that's really what it needed to be. So, but here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. So she saved the client some money because she didn't need that much, right? And here's what happens. The table's built. It gets to be delivered. It turns out that it's about three inches too long to fit in the freight elevator get up in this tower. So they have to put it on top of the freight elevator. Now, you could do that. It just costs more, right? You've got to have the crew to do it. you got to plan it, right? So they put it on the top of the elevator. They get it up the tower. They get it in the dining room. It's beautiful. Gotta, yeah, okay. Ta-da, we got there. Um, that, that elevator trip costs that designer something. But it was, you know, not, you know, she's okay now, right? Now, maybe six months later, something like that, the veneer on the top of the table starts to pop and do weird things. And you're going, well, you know, now the client's unhappy, we need to send this table back to the vendor and have it redone. Okay, that's, that's fine. The vendor's willing to do that. That's great. However, however, the table has to be scheduled to go down on the top of the elevator for another large sum of money. And then it has to be crated, for another large sum of money, you know, see why I'm going here and then ship back to the vendor who fixes it, makes it beautiful again, ships it back. And now our designer who spent way more than her $4,000 that she had in profit on this has to pay for bringing it up the elevator again and putting it into this back in the dining room where it belongs. So her good deed of trying to save the client money who, in a client who, you know, is in a, in a category where it doesn't matter if it's 16,000 or 25,000. It's, if that's what she wants, that's what she wants, right? (laughs) But she saved her the money to do it. And then because of all these challenges with the tabletop, it ended up costing her more than what her profit was on that table. Considerably more. Several, several thousand dollars more. (laughs) Right. So, you know, you've probably been into some of these situations. And here's the deal. When you have a a good client and has a problem, you need to take care of it whether or not your vendor fixes it for you or not. Okay, We hope that our vendors will back us up and we won't get caught in too much of that. But when you do, you still have to come through because if you do a fabulous job, your client will tell three or four people and hopefully you get a referral out of it. If your client is unhappy with you and thinks that you didn't come through or you let them down or didn't stand behind your product, she will tell a hundred people. Okay, it will totally trash you. Okay. So you can't do it. You have to take care of this situation, even if you have to eat it. You know, and I could go down the long list of things that I've done over the years that, you know, I called it I called it marketing. <laughs> I had a savings account for that sort of thing. And I just called it marketing and saying, you know what? I need to take care of it. However, you need to charge enough in the first place so you have money in the savings account so you can take care of it. Right? That's the, the gist of this is had she sold this for 25,000 like she should have instead of 16, she would have had enough money to bring it down the elevator more than, you know, three times and crate it and do all the things she had to do to make it right. She would have at least broken even. Okay. And not been in the hole on it. Right? So so you can see how our own money values and our own, you know, our own ideas of how we should operate um get in our way and actually cost us a lot of money. Can cost you clients sometimes. In the first instance it costs the client. The second one, she kept the client, but it cost her a lot, you know, thousands of dollars to fix it. Okay. So you know, there's all these things. You know, it is a natural thing for us to do it. Okay, so it's it's not your fault. But what I'm trying to point out is, you need to be aware of this stuff. You need to be aware of that. There's a lot of glass ceilings in there that need to be broken through, and that that they're hard to see, they're hard to feel until you bang up against it, and it doesn't work, and you go, oh no, what happened? Okay. Now I probably have a dozen emails that I've saved because I think they're fun. I like, I like to keep them a dozen emails sales that I have gotten from a designer who just was in a, like a CEU I had done. We were talking about pricing and that sort of thing. And it says something like, Terry, you know, my client wanted this table and I researched it. I found the fabulous one, absolutely perfect. I priced it and went, Oh no, oh no, that's way too much. And then Terry, I heard your words in my ear. <laughs> Give the client what you want. Get your money story out of there. Just give her what she asked for. And so I got up my courage, right? I got up my courage and I presented this table. And um she said, yeah, it's fabulous. Absolutely brought it immediately. And I ordered it. Done deal. And you know, Terry, I made a couple thousand dollars more than I would have had I reduced it. And my client's happy. So you could see what happens here when we bump up against those, those big price tags. Okay. Things that we're not comfortable stepping in through yet. Um, you've got to realize that it's an under the surface thing. It's certainly under, under the surface, but. You know, everybody gets caught in it and there are, they are at different levels. They keep moving up. You know, you may break through the, you know, $25,000 dining table and hit another big one up above that. That's even, even higher and go, Oh, and, and have to deal with that. So we, the, the, the way you deal with it is become aware that it's there. Okay. That you, you need to know that it, that it needs to be there. And that everybody has a glass ceiling. Everybody has some place where they're going to get in this money thing where you're going to be really uncomfortable. Okay. It's not going to feel, not going to feel good at all. Right. Until you break through it and you get on the other side and it's like, woohoo. I did it. Absolutely did it. So, you know, it takes a lot of courage to say those big price tags. It really does. Okay. Now, if you've got a budget, if you've been working with us, you've already got a budget, you can do a budget on the fly and figure out these numbers, what people are comfortable with paying with. And it gets a little bit easier than if somebody's approved a $500,000 furniture budget. Then all you need to do is bring it in at 492 7 or something. And you know, and you're in everything's good. You don't always have that situation. So sometimes you just have to be a bit fearless about it. Okay, so what what I need to tell you about that is that you need to be a high-end designer before you get the high-end clients. In other words, you have to get yourself there. It's not that you're going to get this high-end client one day, and then you're going to learn all about high-end design and who the vendors are and that sort of thing. It doesn't work that way. It's actually the other way around. So you have to set intention that that is your ideal client. And then you need to go out and collect the vendors to support it. Now, by collecting vendors, what I mean is you get comfortable with, you learn the lines of all that high-end product that you will be using, not maybe, not sort of, not kind of, but you will be using, and you open accounts there, you get to know the reps and make friends with them so that you can call for pricing, you're familiar with what's in those lines, you're familiar with those numbers, what what they represent, so that when the client shows up, you're not the deer in the headlights, you know your stuff. Okay? It makes a huge difference in what come what comes down for you. You have to be aware enough as well. That when that money talk in your head starts, and I, I, I like to call it the bad roommate on your shoulder. The uh, oh, she won't pay you that much. Oh, are you kidding? That's crazy. Oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. That's that's too much. Okay, that's that's some kind of internal talk going on, and you need to be able to recognize it and, and tell that that nasty roommate to just go in a room and shut the door and leave you alone, so you could get this done. OK, because that old stuff, that old stuff from the way we're raised, you know, the the things we've heard that I mean, it comes from all kinds of places. But, but money is a really tricky subject and you need to be really aware that this is going on in the background so that you can appropriately deal with it so that you can do these kind of jobs that you really want. So a couple of things about working your way through this. And, and, let me, let me talk about one that gets really more fearful. This, this is more of a situation where you've got an opportunity for a 2.6 new build. Great. Came in with the, you know, got brought in by the architect. You've met the clients. They love you. It's all good. And it's, it's the works. You've got millwork. You have got lighting to do, finish up. Then you've got all the specifications and all the furniture. Beautiful job, right? This is this, this is what you know. This is it. This is the kind that get in the magazine, right? Well, you sit down and figure that out with project time estimating. Something you know, one of our tools that we have here at IDBA to figure out things like that comes out to eighty six thousand is the fee. And you're looking, going, all right. I'm going to ask for eighty six thousand dollars for me. That can be tricky. Okay. It's one thing to, to sell expensive sofas and fancy dining room tables. But now, now the money's about me to start with. Okay. What do I cost? Well, you know, when you, when you realize that this thing is going to take two years, two and a half years to do, 86,000 is not so huge given all the things that you're going to have to do all the way through that. Um, but the idea of saying 86,000, that, that can be pretty scary. And especially because it's for yourself, okay? So we need to realize that fear and action can't can't be in the same place. They won't be in the same place, okay? So when something like that, a big glass ceiling number, like an $86,000 fee, and you need to present it, is coming up, you need to get really centered with it and really lean into it. Okay? Because if you back off, you're never gonna be able to do it, right? So you gotta you gotta step in and be be deeper into it and really practice uh until you can actually say this number out loud. Because what what happens when you just run it in your head and say, Okay, this is what I'm gonna say, when it comes time to say it, it doesn't come out of your mouth. (laughs) All right. I've (laughs) I've been there. I've been there. Now a helpful thing is to have your letter of agreement ready so it's right in front of you, so you can't Back down, right? (laughs) You gotta hand it to her. You gotta say what it is, right? So, I mean, you can, you can put yourself in a box that way and and force it so that you can get through this. But it's a really important piece. Here at IDBA, we call it passing the salt. Okay. Pass the salt is a very neutral phrase. Okay. What we're practicing here is being able to say, my fee is $86,000 to do da, 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 da pass the salt, because the tone of voice that you use when you say pass the salt is totally neutral. There's no emotion in it. There's nothing going on. That's the amount of emotion you need to have in your voice when you present that fee, like you do it all the time, like we've done it a million times. Of course, that's what it's supposed to be, okay? It's like it comes out of your mouth like the price of broccoli, $3.29 a pound, whatever it is, right? It's that kind of comfort with it that, that makes the difference. And it's actually a somatic thing. You need to do it out loud. Okay. It has to do with muscle memory. It has to do with your whole, the way your whole body works when you say that sort of thing. If you practice presenting it out loud and you could do it in the car when you're driving, you could do it in the shower. Okay. You don't have to do it in front of people, but you have to do it out loud to get the, the shakes out of your voice to, to get the confidence there. So it comes out like, Past the salt. Okay? Just like that. So finally, I wanna I wanna share a story with you about what happens when you recognize that you're struggling with a number and that you do what you need to do um, to make sure it comes out right, to make sure that you get through it so that you can say that and 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 serve your client in the manner that they're asking you for. Some years ago, um, I was working with a young designer who wanted to do a pogan paw kitchen. Okay, now we all know that pogan paw is extremely pricey. And beautiful, right? And precise, absolutely dead level, square, everything, everything's exactly the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Well, so did she. And, um, she, you know, they had the dealership. She wanted to sell one of these kitchens. She'd done all the training for it. She tried it a few times, but the, you know, the price level is so high that it just kind of blew the client away. It was like the, you know, it was just more than they could swallow because you know, I, th- I think the interesting thing is in Europe, where Pokemon is from, obviously, people's kitchen is furniture, and they take it with them, and then you know, and that would justify <laughs> the price of this stuff a little more. And their kitchens are very small. Now, what we're talking about is a <laughs> is a big kitchen, like like eight hundred square feet of kitchen, you know, which is is like, wow, this is really cool, but but you know, this is going to add up. Well. Here's what happened. The right client came in the door. Okay, they wanted a poke and paw kitchen, and they wanted something contemporary, and they wanted something they'd never seen before—absolutely, totally creative from scratch. Give me something amazing. Okay, um, this young designer did some fabulous stuff. I saw the drawings as she was working on it. It was really, really fabulous. And along the way, maybe a week or so after I saw the drawings. Uh, I got a call from her. She says, "I can't. I can't do this kitchen. I can't. I." This isn't going to work. And I went, well, why? What's, what's the problem? What's the matter? And she says, well, it's, it's 286,000. I said, well, I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You've, you've never done a kitchen under a hundred. What's 286? What's the big deal? And she said, oh no, you don't understand. 286 is just the cabinets. Oh. I said, Oh, <laughs> woke me up. Okay. So what's the rest of it? You know, well, probably another 80 in melee appliances and another 60 in tops because I got this cantilevered glass thing with LED lights in it. Blah, 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 right. It's like, Oh my gosh. And then there's all the construction and this property that goes in it's not new, it's older, and Pogan and paw is completely square, and the room is not, and <laughs> all of that. So the construction is going to be expensive. I mean, it ran out of a bit over $500,000 to do this kitchen. Now, that was a chunk, because this is a, a young person, and that was really more than her house cost, right? We're getting into that numbers thing again, going, really? You know, this is going to happen? I talked to her about practicing presenting it, getting so that she could say that number, 286,000, like past salts. No big deal. I sell these all the time. It's 286,000 for the cabinets. We got another 88 melee appliances, yada, 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 okay? Just like that. So she practiced it out loud a lot, okay? Got herself to the point where she did enough that she didn't care anymore. It just That's what it is, just... Say the number, that's it, okay? So we three weeks or so later, the clients get back into town, and she can present this. She presents the, the drawings and the elevations. They absolutely love it. It's stunning. Um, she presents the price. They do not faint and fall on the floor. They actually go, okay, and they did it exactly the way she drew it. They did not change one thing, which I think is the coolest part of this story. (laughs) They absolutely went for it exactly the way she drew it exactly the way she planned it. The kitchen came out beautifully, absolutely gorgeous. Obviously, she won the first place award in her local ASID chapter awards. Of course she did, right? Yeah. Um, the local Home and Garden magazine did a three or four page spread on it. Lovely, with her name all over it. Poganpaw put it in Architectural Digest with her name on it. Now, I'm talking about a kid, a young designer who was 29 years old, and you um, just think about what that did to her career, how that shifted how people saw her and how she saw herself, okay, all because she was willing to go after this piece about presenting these big numbers and just Getting it out of her money story entirely and serving the client in the best way she could. And it's come back to her in spades and, and, and as it should, as it absolutely should. Okay, so so to wind this up, I I want to I want to let you know that everybody struggles with this money thing, that denying it will not help you. Okay, you really need to kind of dig into it and figure out where it is you got stuck. And figure out what to do, how, how to work around it. There's lots of mind hack, mind hacks, lots of um, brain tricks you can play with, lots of that sort of thing to get through this. But what happens is when you start being able to deal with these numbers and just say what they are, it allows you to move upward in your client base enormously. I mean, it, it really starts shifting what you can do and what you can do creatively and how you can be paid. Right. So this is a piece, um, a mindset piece that we work on a lot here at Interior Design Business Academy. I know for a fact that, <laughs> that I can give you all the, the, <laughs> the lists and checklists and contracts and this is how to do it and say it like this and, you know, all of that stuff. It doesn't work unless you shift your mindset around what's possible okay? And when we get that piece going and you start getting comfortable with making those kinds of shifts, and it's not like turning into a different person. It's just a little shift into looking at things a little differently and everything starts opening up. So uh, that is my wish for you, okay? So until next time, design something beautiful and get paid what you're worth. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Interior Design Business Podcast. If you love what you're hearing each week, let me know by leaving a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on clear, proven, repeatable, step-by-step recipes for attracting ideal luxury clients I share in each episode. As always, you can head over to InteriorDesignBusinessAcademy.com to check out the links and resources from this episode. Till next week, design something beautiful and get paid what you're worth.